0: transform your creative potential today head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys use the number four k-e-y-s that's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy
1: you're finding a career or a job and so i think allowing yourself time to be open to those things is really that first step as well as trying new things i mean i think for for a lot of people i mean i work um, Uh, I do a lot of training courses and guiding situations where I introduce people to, you know, the polar environments or cold weather environments. And it's definitely an eye opening experience for them. And, and I love to see that kind of crystallization of a passion evolve and, and maybe it's aligned with my things or, or maybe it's not, but you start to see it. And, um, for me, I I love that because I feel like I have that in my life, um, you know, this thing that I found that perfectly suits who I am and what I'm about. And so it's fun to be able to foster that in other people.
2: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
4: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, Automate Allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST.
3: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f-?
4: life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com
2: eric welcome to the unmistakable creative thanks so much for taking the time to join us
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate
2: it. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I was actually introduced to you by way of your wife, who also happens to be uh, one of our listeners. Uh, And she told me a little bit about the crazy adventures that you're up to. And I thought, yeah, that's definitely a fascinating story. I want to know more about it. So I want to start by asking you, um, one, what social group were you a part of in high school and what extracurricular activities did you participate in? (laughs) And what impact has that ended up having on the choices that you've ended up making with your life?
1: Yeah. In terms of um, my social group, I would say I kind of um, floated in between a lot of different groups. I mean, I was definitely on like the college prep course. So with all the, you know, chemistry, physics, English, all that kind of stuff. But then I also took like woodworking class. I was um, kind of in between a lot of different groups, I would say. and, And you know, had friends, but also, um, spent time on my own as well. So I was like a little awkward at times, but also okay. At times I played, uh, sports, um, soccer and track. And I always say like I was the slowest person on my soccer team. So, um, I wasn't necessarily like this all-star player. Um, and then I also, uh, in high school worked a lot. I actually, you know, had a paper out as a kid, um, and then got into biking and worked at a bike shop all through high school and college actually. So I was like in my high school years, I was working like 20 or 30 hours a week. Mm-hmm.
2: So what impact did that end up having on, uh, the choices that you've made throughout your life and did kind of to, you know, leading you to the career that you have?
1: Well, I think overall I'm a pretty independent thinker and a pretty independent person. And I, and I don't, I wouldn't say that my social groups in high school influenced that. I think that was just a function of my personality Uh In in the sense that I was always kind of in between a lot of things and kind of interested in things that were not necessarily like mainstream. So I was, um, my dad was actually the director of a nature center. So I spent a lot of time out there, um, you know, banning birds and making maple syrup and collecting seeds and things that most of my friends in high school would have no idea about. But that was uh, very interesting to me. And, you know, I spent a lot of time on my bike. I, I was, as a kid, was looking to try to just discover the place I was living. I grew up in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, so kind of a Somewhat rural area, you know, and so I was just trying to get out any way I could. And, and you know, so that's why I got a paper out when I was 12, so I could save up money and, and get a bike. And then as soon as I got that bike, I was gone. Mm-hmm. I was going on 60, 70, 80 mile bike rides, you know, with a map just as a 13, 14 year old.
2: Mm-hmm. Why do you think that... Um... As adults, we sort of lose this sense of uh, adventure and, and this, you know, drive for exploration and curiosity.
1: Like, what happens to that as we get older? Man, that's a good question and one that I've never been asked before. Yeah, that, that I'm not sure exactly, to be quite honest. Like, you know, for me, it's 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 only gotten stronger as i've gotten older i think i i think for a lot of people there's a lot of societal norms that we feel pressured to conform with and and there's this tract of thinking that gets you doing certain things and i'm not trying to be negative about people who have normal careers but i just think that This kind of idea of being independent and blazing your own path uh, traditionally hasn't necessarily been a real dominant force. And especially in the Midwest, for me, that's just not how uh, we grew up, you know, like that wasn't an ideology that was really talked about very much. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just kind of part of our collective unconsciousness in a certain sense that, you know, we, we have a map, we see the world, you know, things can be pretty black and white. Mm hmm. And I would say the other thing is, is you know, unknown is uncomfortable for people. And I, I think, you know, the, the trajectory of society is to move towards comfort. And and that could be sleeping in a bed. It could be having a stable job. It could be a relationship. It could be health insurance or whatever. And so that's a kind of um, a force that has a lot of power to it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, as a person who uh, didn't succumb to their social programming uh, and their environment, how do people overcome theirs? Like, how do you undo um, this sort of narrative uh, later on in your life? Like, is it even possible?
1: Yeah. Why are you asking so many difficult questions? Um, <laughs> <laughs> You've heard our interviews, so you know. The <laughs> you know, I think I think it has to do with people's comfort. Uh, uh, towards risk. And so it's kind of, um, you know, I don't know how to undo that programming. but But like I said, I think it has to do or it's rooted in this kind of idea of risk and being comfortable with unknowns. And so I'm not sure how you impart that. But I would say that adventure is a very strong teacher. I mean, a lot of the things that I do in adventure translate into my normal life. And so being able to deal with uncertainty, being able to deal with physically uncomfortable situations, mental challenges, um, I think gets you more um, practiced at trying different things and and kind of being outside that box, so to speak.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I think that um, one of the conclusions I drew, you know, in, in research, for my upcoming book about sort of exercise and physical activity was that, you know, physical risk in so many ways um, actually prepares you to take uh, creative risks and, and mental risks. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, but I have I've found that to be true throughout my life. Like as I've gotten more and more open to taking physical risks, I've found that my career has changed pretty drastically and the risks that I'm willing to take in my actual life have changed quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, you start to understand when you put yourself in risky situations, situations with uncertain outcomes, you start to realize that, you know, pushing through that or being successful in those situations isn't just like some random stroke of luck, and that there's a very deliberate set of things that you can do to control yourself, to control your body, to overcome that. And it's practiced, it's not like. It's just not this like lightning strike of an instance at, for the most part. And so what happens is you start to feel, at least for me, you start to feel much more empowered in your abilities. And what you realize is that, you know, as you take a step back, you see this thing that was, you know, very scary, um, potentially life threatening, um, and also like, nearly impossible to achieve. And you've worked your way through that. And so as you start to do that time and time again, you start to understand that process a little bit better. And you're able to kind of apply that to any new situation. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is that that mental and physical part of your bodies for for myself, it's so closely connected um, in terms of like how I feel uh, physically, and how that affects my mental attitude and my ability to to overcome obstacles, and vice versa. Mm-hmm.
2: So, two questions come from this. Um, one. You know, this is something I asked Jamal Yogis years ago, who who wrote a book called The Fear Project. And, you know, as part of the, the book, he actually trained to surf Mavericks when he hadn't surfed anything that big before. And I asked him, I said, you know, when you come back into your regular life after doing something as terrifying as surfing Mavericks, does it give you a level of confidence that is almost like delusional or unhealthy? Uh, and you know not necessarily wise in certain areas of your life, so i, I you know I'm curious if you found that to be the case um, two, if we don't have sort of the ability to do things like surf mavericks or go to the North Pole, what are the day to day things that we can do in terms of our physical risk taking capabilities that will increase our our mental risk taking capabilities?
1: yeah, so I think you know the the question about fear um is an interesting one and one I wrestle with a lot because I would say I have a lot of fear in a lot of situations. I mean, there's times when I have just simply social fear, social anxiety about, you know, being in large groups and, and things like that. So fear can manifest itself in a lot of ways, but I will say fear is a, is a relative thing. And, you know, experience and knowledge can greatly reduce your fear. Um, and so, and you get better at processing that you get better at managing fearful situations, the more that you go through those situations, just like driving a car, you know, like the more you drive a car, the better you're at driving a car. Um, and and in one sense, it's just a skill to be mastered. Um, but fear is also in place to keep you safe and, um, you know, prevent you from doing stupid things. For me, I would say I have a healthy dose of, uh, maybe not freak, fear, but understanding of of um, kind of objective hazards in, in my adventures. And coming back, I wouldn't say, like, I'm a crazy risk taker. I'm actually a pretty ca- calculated and careful person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't necessarily go out and seek fearful situations. What I seek are kind of these bigger challenges. And, and oftentimes it involves, you know, some objective hazards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily take that back with me and just be like, Oh, I'm racing my car across town and, and in, you know, and, and going through stoplights and all this stuff just have <laughs> that rush or whatever, uh-huh. uh, you know, I have two kids, I have a wife, I like my, you know, kind of quiet, calm family life. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so I think it's different for, for different people. And I would say there are people who, who like that risk taking, Thing in their daily lives. Um, and, and, and I feel that at times, and for me, you know, building that in my personal life, um, is kind of a scalable thing and it can come in a variety of ways. You know, like I just finished a trip across the state of Colorado where we were, um, uh, biking, hiking, and pack rafting across the state of Colorado, 600 miles in 12 days. Not a crazy um, uh, adventure where we would possibly die, but but we put, quite honestly, we just put some arbitrary parameters on a on a activity and that offered a new and unique challenge that put us in some stressful situations Mm -hmm. and so i think we have the we have the ability in our normal lives to put whatever parameters we want on a thing to set a goal and work towards that and it's just up to us as to how difficult or expansive that we want to make it Mm -hmm. um
2: you know, the, the, you know, it's interesting you mentioned sort of the objective risk-taking because I don't know if you've seen it. It's possible you did. Uh, Shane, they did a documentary about Shane McConkie and, and, you know, how yeah. much base jumping he did. And one of the things that struck me is despite how crazy all the things that he did were, uh, it was how much preparation went into every single thing and how many details they actually paid attention to. Um, you know, calculating weather patterns, you know, potential risks. Like, I remember that, that base jump, like, they went up to the, to the top, the place where he actually died, multiple times before they actually decided to go through with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I did see that documentary. It was incredible. It was incredible on a lot of levels. One, because, you know, he just evolved that sport in a way, kind of in an unprecedented way, as well as just like skiing in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my initial thing where risk, you know, there are objective hazards, but risk is relative and it's relative to your knowledge and your experience as well as your preparation. And so um, it's it's oftentimes hard from the outside to look at a situation and say that's risky, whereas the inside you have a much different perspective. You have a, a level of confidence uh, an understanding of the environment and understanding of your body and understanding of the physics that are involved. Um, and so all those things play into that risk risk um and i you know for me personally i have a philosophy which is uh train hard and travel easy you know my my adventures are much different than than what shane does for 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 shane he he was in that moment in a second you know and for me it takes a month and a half to get to that point of traveling you know in a remote, remote environment but that said you know the more that i experience a lot of these kind of obstacles or uncertainty in smaller capacities, um, it doesn't necessarily build up a tolerance to it, but it, 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 uh, familiarizes you with those situations so that when you are in that moment, it's not this, um, kind of, uh, new thing that kind of puts a shock in your system and, and, and stops everything in its tracks.
2: Mm-hmm. So, you know, from your experience and, and, you know, the work that you've done um, through exploration and adventure, why do you think that some people get consumed by obstacles and moments of adversity and some people grow from them?
1: Yeah. Why do I think that? I mean, you know, for me, when I look at what I do, I'm definitely very focused on the process. Um, you know, and, and part of that is by default because, uh, my sport, polar travel is like one of the most arbitrary things ever invented. I mean, we basically travel for two months and then all of a sudden we get to this point that looks like every other point and then we stop traveling. So we kind of have to be focused on that process much more than, than just the outcome but, I, I mean, I, I guess I have to come back to that idea of, of difficulty in life, and, and obstacles are hard. And, um, you know, if you just look at that obstacle as an ending point, it's very easy to just give up and stop. But if you see that obstacle as just a bump along the way or part of that process, you're much more likely to continue. In our trips, we do a lot of um, goal-setting. And focusing on both the long-term objective as well as the short-term objective. And by kind of going back and forth between those two uh, points, uh, physically and philosophically, we're able to kind of manage a lot of those uh, speed bumps along the way. So uh, I love this and I'm curious, how would
2: we apply that, uh, principle of long-term and short-term objectives to goals in our own lives, regardless of what those goals are, even if they're not necessarily like the, you know, desire to do something physically challenging.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's say you, you, you want to have a certain job, um, or whatever it is. I think it's, it's, it's really applicable because I deal a lot with this in my, in my daily life of trying to, you know, just make a living. But, um, y- you, know, Working towards that long-term goal, whatever it is, however big or lofty or even mundane, um, oftentimes can seem so far out and so abstract that any sort of progress you're making towards it is uh, so minimal that it's irrelevant. And so, it's very easy when you deal with these bigger long-term goals to get um, kind of put off or distracted or just you know feel overwhelmed, like it's not possible. And and so. Again, like in our trips, what we're doing is we're setting a smaller goal. We're trying to get to the 85th parallel or just the end of the day, even. Um, And so we can measure, like, even a mile of progress for us towards that is progress versus when you look at the whole, you know for example, 500 miles to the North Pole, that doesn't seem like much of anything. And so, you know, if you're looking at trying to get a particular job or career or whatever, learning a a specific skill that relates to that career is one of those small term objectives. It's not the job that you want, but it adds up um, and there's an accumulative effect that helps you work towards that bigger thing. And so, like I said, we're constantly, I kind of call it nearing and faring as well. We're constantly going near and far. And part of it is a little bit of a mental game to trick us and to keep staying motivated, quite honestly, because that far away objective can, can seem so far and those little pieces can seem, uh, equally as small. So I'm curious, walk me through how you actually get
2: into this line of work, like from college to where you are today to starting to do this. How in the world did you get
1: into all of this? Um, and then why? I mean, that's, those are, man, each question I'm saying is the hardest question. The why (laughs) question is, is always one that I wrestle with because, you know, in one sense, and this is going to sound a little negative. Nobody asks somebody why they became a lawyer necessarily, or an account, um, and that said, my career is not traditional, um, but for me, it's really part of who I am and, you know, or like you don't ask an artist why they paint a picture and not that I'm an artist because I can't paint, but I, I do think uh, that part of what I do is, is basically just a form of self-expression. This is who I am. Um, and this is how I was built. And so quite honestly, I stopped asking myself why a long time ago. It's just, it's just where I'm going. That said, um, for me, I've all, you know, my goal in life was to be a professional camper. I, I, I kind of had a lot of positive experiences, um, outdoors as a kid and just always enjoyed that idea of wilderness, um, and being outside and, and there was never a job of professional camper. Um, So I just tried to gain experiences. I tried to, um, you know, learn more about different types of adventure pursuits. I read a lot as a kid. I read a lot of the historical accounts of exploration. So it was always something that was very interesting to me. Um, And, And quite honestly, my focus in school was really more uh, on environmental education. And my goal was realistically just to educate people about the places that I had loved. And, um, you know, my path after college was kind of on that trajectory while still having this mindset of how can I do um, big adventures. Um, And so it started out as a guide. You know, I was guiding whitewater trips. I was a backcountry ranger in Alaska. Um, And I ended up stumbling into a job as a dog musher uh, in the mid-90s, which was I had never even seen a sled dog before. And uh, that was a a pretty transformative experience for me uh, because, one, a lot of the historical polar adventures or polar explorers were dog mushers or used dogs in in their explorations. And two, it was just an incredible, uh, incredible way to travel. And and i had always loved winter. And so I, I thought, man, this is this is it for me. I'm I'm a dog musher for the rest of my life. But of course, I was making almost no money, had no health insurance and a car that barely worked. And I was like, I can't do this. Um, and so so then I was like, well, maybe I need to, um, you know, have a little bit more of a career. So I went back to school, was working on my master's of education, was kind of teaching in environmental centers and writing curriculum. But I still wanted that adventure component and was lucky enough after a couple years to stumble into a job as an education director for a company that did dog sled expeditions. Um, unfortunately, we lost all of our funding in 2002 or one when the internet bubble burst. And then I was kind of back working at a bike shop 30 something years old, making less money than I made in high school. Um, but then again, got another opportunity to do, um, my first North pole expedition, uh, where we started planning in 2002 and basically didn't look back from there, but it's been a long process. I mean, there's been a lot of times where I'm like, what am I doing? Um, you know, not making any money, living in my friend's basement, sleeping on a beach, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So two other questions. Um, one, you know, having this kind of life, what is the impact
2: of it on, uh, the relationships that you have with your family? Uh, and <clears throat> l- let's start there.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, y- you know, it's, it's interesting because I think about my family a lot and, you know, I always tell Maria, my wife, um, or maybe I don't tell her this, but, uh, we talk, <laughs> but you know, when I'm, when I, when I'm at home, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about expeditions, and when I'm expedition, I'm thinking 100% just about home, and it's really hard to be in both of those places, and, and I think it's hard for Maria because she sees this passion in me that is in direct opposite – to our life together and you know for me it's not choosing one or the other it's just these two things um and they don't really cross at all because being on an expedition for me means I'm gone for 2 months in you know a very very remote environment mm-hmm. um that said when i'm home you know i don't have to go to an office uh i'm definitely very hands on with the family and very focused on it and and so uh, it's a balance and it's a balance I would say that never really is, is perfectly on the level. It kind of tips back and forth, but, um, you know, expeditions do afford me a lot of opportunities to be at home, to travel with the family, to have a flexible schedule, to be very focused on my kids, um, when I'm around, um, and and hopefully, you know, at some point as they get older, offer them the opportunity to to see some of these places through through my eyes as well, which is my hope, kind of for everybody.
4: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
6: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
2: um I know what the other question was. Uh you know you mentioned that this is basically a, a huge form of self-expression for you and I'm curious how people discover what their form of self-expression that adds value to their life is. Um like I know for me it's definitely been surfing and creative work but you know I was 30 when I figured that out.
1: Yeah, I always think of myself as someone who is like continuously evolved and has changed quite a bit over my life um but when i look at my life as a 12 year old i like camping and biking in winter and as a 46 year old like nothing has changed (laughs) um so that singularity is is in one sense a little frustrating to me because i i feel like i should be much more evolved um but I've always been fairly in tune with the things that I enjoy and the things that I like to do. Uh, I think it's because I do end up spending a lot of time alone. And so there's you can't help but self-reflect, you know, in terms of 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 people finding their path or what their true calling is. I think it involves, um, you know, that process of of just trying things. If if you don't know what it is, it's trying things and being open to what your thoughts are and what your interests are. I think, you know, the unique thing about the age that we live in today is there are a lot of opportunities to make a living out of your interests. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I think traditionally that, that didn't necessarily happen and it was more like you're finding a career or a job. And so I think allowing yourself time to be open to those things is really that first step as well as trying new things. I mean, I think for, for a lot of people, I mean, I work, um, uh, I do a lot of training courses and guiding situations where I introduce people to, you know, the polar environments or cold weather environments. And it's definitely an eye opening experience for them. And, and I love to see that kind of crystallization of a passion evolve and, and maybe it's aligned with my things or, or maybe it's not, but you start to see it. And, um, for me, I, I love that because I feel like I have that in my life, um, you know, this thing that I found that perfectly suits who I am and what I'm about. And so it's fun to be able to foster that in other people. hmm all right. So I want to spend the rest of
2: our time talking about your actual expeditions, um, you know, and I want to start asking one what's involved in the training day to day, because I think, you know, you said train hard travel easy. So I'm curious, you know, what does that look like on a day to day basis? What is your average day look like? And then um, can you give us sort of a, a detailed look at like what one of these trips looks like from start to finish?
1: Yeah yeah I always laugh because when i'm at home um i'm I'm like on my computer a lot like I do a lot of emails and uh um you know it's kind of this constant all encompassing thing but I would say that um again like in today's age one of the one of the great things and and this kind of fits my skill set which is i'm a super great generalist like i'm not an expert at anything and so on any given day you know for me i'm um, you know, writing a sponsorship proposal or writing a blog post for a sponsor or reaching out to media or, you know, um, testing gear and equipment or researching gear or looking at maps or arranging logistics or, you know, any number of different kind of activities doing photography and video projects. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of wake up every day with this excitement to, to kind of dive into what's going to happen um, because there's a lot of stuff. So it's a lot of com- it's a lot of computer time for me. Um, I'm definitely trying to train as much as possible. Uh, again, there are not enough hours in the day with having two small kids uh, and being a one man band uh, to get all the stuff done that I need to. So training. Um, is definitely an important part of my every day. I mean, my goal is to kind of get uh, two hours in a day with some longer stuff um, on the weekends or, or whatever that happens to be uh, during the week. You know, I, I call it a weekend, but I'm, I'm kind of doing stuff all the time. Um, a lot of times, quite honestly, I'm on, I'm on my bike. I mean, I love biking, and, uh, and it's just an easy way for me to get out. I do a lot of hiking. You know, living in Colorado, it's, it's pretty easy to, to just put on a pack and go you know, when I'm training for more mountaineering things, I'm usually doing um, kind of some weighted pack stuff. I'll throw a bunch of rocks, about 50 pounds of rocks in a pack, and I'll I'll climb up and down uh, one of our, our local peaks or, or do a big 14er or whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, for more polar specific trips, we do a lot of kind of general fitness along with uh, uh Tire pulling. So basically, what I'm doing is just wearing a harness and then pulling a couple of tires around the trails of uh, Colorado, uh, just trying to mimic that. That. Uh, type of stress and strain that we're doing and and not quite honestly like my trips aren't like this in any given moment it's not this physical physically the most difficult thing you're ever doing but the reality is it's this accumulative effect so you know a, a lot of this just kind of general wear and tear and use of our of your body is really important as well as i call it strength endurance and so i don't do a lot of overall specific strength training or you know anything like that, I try to keep cardiovascularly fit and then do just, again, a lot of that strength endurance. Mm -hmm. Um, But that occupies a lot of my time. And, you know, the nice part for me, Uh, Maria makes fun of me a little bit when I just cut out the day at like two o'clock and go for a two or three hour bike ride. But I look at that as part of my job. And, you know, what we were talking about earlier is the physical and the mental are very much connected. Um, and as I get older, it's very easy for me to, to lose fitness and, and it takes much longer for me to gain it. And so, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the long game here. And so I'm trying to get out on a daily basis, you know, five or six times a week, to make sure that I'm maintaining that level of fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when the rubber hits the road and expeditions are coming coming down, it definitely slackens off a little bit, even as much as I want to be like ramping up training, but there are just so many things that we have to do. To, to prep and get prepared even after like a year of preparation. So that's kind of, you know, my daily life and, and, um, it's always juggling a, a bunch of different tasks, but like I said, it's, it's really enjoyable for me because I'm doing a lot of different things. And and if I were to have looked into a crystal ball, um, you know, even 10 years ago, I am living my, my best life, but I wouldn't have guessed at all the different things that I do. Um, and so I really enjoy that variety. Um, and so you, as I'm as I'm kind of working um, what I'm what I'm generally doing is is planning for a variety of expeditions and that could be something as small as one of my week-long training courses which only takes me a couple days of prep or I'm starting to look at some of these bigger adventures and so that involves a lot of research and um, you know, understanding um, kind of that area, that region, um, starting to look at fundraising options, which is an ongoing, constant thing for me, um, as well as, you know, getting the gear together, testing the gear, um, training ramps up pretty considerably, um, looking at all the logistics, um, p- potentially arranging some training trips so that we can test all that gear, become more familiar with that environment. Um, and so that, you know, for the bigger trips, that process takes a year or, or, or even longer. I mean, in 2006, when we did our summer expedition to the North Pole, we planned and prepared for three years for that one trip just because nobody had ever done a summer expedition to the North Pole previously. So we were developing gear that had never been made before. Um, and then once we're, once we're on the expedition, it's kind of this um, – you know like i said we're we're really working on these goals both long term and short term but we're also kind of taking things day by day. You know, one of my favorite sayings is let's just go up there and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, because oftentimes we just have to deal with this constantly changing environment. But we have a very specific routine that we work through on any given day. We use that um, structure to be able to provide incentive uh, for us to keep moving and just a framework um, to be able to make miles. Because, again, we're, we're dealing with these big goals that are that are so abstract that it can kind of be hard to wrap your head around it and so you know if we can get through one hour that's one hour closer to our objective and um you know the routine is really what gets us through every day and so we generally wake up around 6 a.m um and we're in a tent that's pretty cold you know as cold as the outside environment sometimes 40 degrees below zero and right away we're then um uh, melting snow and kind of gearing up for the day. And that takes a couple hours, two and a half hours. And then we're out and traveling, uh, on the ice. And so, like I said, we usually break up the day in these hour shifts where we rotate lead positions. Um, halfway through the day, we take a break where we put our, our big down jackets on and, and have a little hot soup. Um, and then at the end of the day, we set up the tent and, uh, dry out any gear repair any gear. And our goal really is to just get to sleep as quickly as possible. Our schedule, um, for the first month or so is really based around trying to get eight hours of sleep. Um, you know, we generally we're setting these hard objectives. We have a finite amount of food and fuel and supplies. And so we have to be very careful with how we travel, but we can't cut sleep out right away because, um, it just, we wouldn't be able to function.
2: Um, I'm curious, uh, what are, obstacles that you run into in the environment do you have moments when you're thinking hey we're going to run out of food and we're going to be screwed and you know how, how do you deal with situations like that
1: yeah we have we have huge struggles almost any given day and and as physically hard as these adventures are there's an emotional roller coaster that can you know leave you crying like a little baby or as happy as you know, you've ever been. Uh, and so it's this constant balance. But, y- you know, what people don't realize about a trip like this is like our daily lives, no matter what we do, are filled with so much variety and options that it's hard to even comprehend unless you contrast it with, you know, doing one thing for not just a day or not just a week, but for nearly two months um, and having everything that you need to live and survive. With you at that time. So there's a lot of planning and preparation that goes into just simply having those supplies in the right proportions um, to hopefully sustain us. Mm -hmm. But there, there are times when we run into obstacles or we're traveling too slow in 2014, we quite honestly were running out of fuel. Um, uh, because we were just simply using too much, we had factored a, a certain amount per person per day. Uh, the temperatures were cold. We were, you know, we're, we needed a lot of fuel to, to um, kind of melt snow as well as dry out our clothes. And here we were in the situation where we were running out of fuel, and that's a stressful situation because it's much different than the hazard of like getting eaten by a polar bear or falling through the ice. Those are things that happen, and you can move on. And you don't have a lot of control over. You mm-hmm. can make decisions to hopefully avoid them. But in, in terms of fuel, fuel is the one thing that sustains us uh, on these trips. Like we can't drink seawater. Uh, we can't really just melt snow on our own. And so th- to be able to survive, we need that fuel. And so when you start to look forward and, and see that your margins of safety are, are zero, you um, that's a real stressful situation, not only just for your survival, but also this bigger picture of what we're doing out there and how it, how it impacts our trip. You know, like if we pull the plug on a big adventure that we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on and have all this commitment from sponsors, you know, our society isn't celebrating the second place or, or the the almost effort. Um, and so there's a lot of that stress that goes into that because you have control over that situation. You can you can come up short um, and be safe, or you can push it and, you know, go into an uncertain outcome.
2: Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned uh, other people in this expedition. I'm curious, you know, what are the roles of, of the other people that are around you in these situations? And and how do you work together to accomplish a common goal?
1: Yeah, the team, the teamwork thing and just the teammate thing for these adventures is a really important part for me. And it's something, you know, that, I wouldn't say I struggle with, but in terms of having the perfect teammate, really requires a lot of time and, and effort, in, and and I guess vetting in one sense. And you know, the reality is, is that when when I'm working with somebody on an expedition like this, we don't have to be this like perfect match of people. And, and in reality, what we want is more complementary skills and personality traits, um, so that we're able to to add things versus just double up on certain skills or behaviors or whatever it is. And quite honestly, you know, probably one of the biggest factors for me is just simply personality and ability to kind of, um, deal with, uh, conflict, because inevitably in a situation um, like that, it's not always your best foot that goes forward. So to, to be able to have a good communicator who can talk about through some of these issues that come up is really important because we're under a lot of both physical and mental stress all the time. And we're also fatigued and, and, and don't have enough sleep. Um, and so it can be really a stressful situation to be with just that one person with Absolutely no break for nearly two months. I mean, we, we are living in this, in this small tent, you know, very closely with one another. And so we have to be able to, to really rely on, on one another in, in basically every situation. But as I mentioned, uh, the complementary skill set is really important. Uh, communication is important. And, and, you know, we have to understand that there's a little bit of an evolution that happens. Um, hopefully we spent enough time together previously that we've worked out a lot of the some of our kind of personality quirks. But we're also working out some of those on the trail and we're kind of, um, you know, finding solutions to those as we go. And, you know, eventually what happens if you're able to kind of weather all those kind of bumps is that you you form this really good, cohesive team where, you know, and especially with a with a. My good friend who I've been working with on a lot of adventures, his name is Ryan Waters. We have this kind of mentality where, you know, if one person is kind of like slumps a little bit. That other person just kind of seamlessly takes over and and, and falls into place as the leader. Um, we make a lot of decisions collectively um, as well. Um, and so we have some of these discussions about what to do. Um, but for example, with Ryan, he's just steadfast, um, and his kind of perseverance and single mindedness, um, pushes us through. And, and, you know, in some of our previous trips, you know, I've been a little more up and down from a, from a personality or from a just emotional side dealing with, you know, my family, not being around and things like that. Whereas, I might have a little bit more experience in polar environments and have a better understanding of the environment and how to navigate and, and things like this. So there's a lot of balancing out of of traits that occurs, and I think ultimately, you know, there's this really uh, big mutual respect that that kind of evolves. Mm-hmm. And um, and if that doesn't happen, then you've got a pretty chaotic situation, which I've always which I've been in before, which is which is difficult to deal with.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, because I I know that I've read a ton of social science research that shows that, uh, you know, when you go through something difficult together, regardless of whether it's a physical adventure, or even like, you know, a business or or something personal, for some reason, that tends to create, uh, you know, a much stronger bond between people when they come out the other side of it. Um, So one other question, uh, have there ever been any moments where you thought you were going to die?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's been enough of them. I, I would say I don't ever dwell on those. And it's it's you get a little bit of a gallows humor about it, which is like, oh, that was close. But we you know, uh, we've had some situations where uh, falling through the, the sea ice, um, you know, having a polar bear jump on our tent, having polar bears stalk us. And then I think, you know, being in some other situations where there's just this overall sense of futility where you're just like up against this insurmountable goal with little chance of being rescued, if any. And so in that moment, it's, it's probably more overwhelming than like the avalanche on Everest or whatever it is.
2: Mm -hmm. What do you, I mean, what do you say to yourself? What do you do during that moment um, where you're like, okay, well, there's no chance of being rescued. We might die. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously you haven't. So clearly you've survived them. And I'm curious, you know, what, what's going on in your head during that time?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's a little bit of, like, gallows humor that that kind of evolves over time, which is just, like, that was close, you know? Like, you see very clearly a path that it could have ended much differently, and I think that's quite honestly kind of the strategy that I've developed. Um, You know, it's really hard in these situations to dwell on those instances because you know there's another situation right around the corner, Mm -hmm. and, that mental stress can become a physical debilitation pretty quickly and it causes you to hesitate. It causes you to second guess your decision-making and which compounds every other, you know, kind of dangerous thing from that point forward. And so, you you know, I think the bottom line is, is, is uh, we, we just tend not to, to think about it too much. I mean, my partner, Ryan, um has probably had more harrowing experiences i have he was in everest uh at the at the um when the earthquake hit and was at everest base camp and helped with the triage and you know he was very lucky where his camp was but you kind of just are in this situation where well it didn't happen so keep moving um and and that's just kind of the the mentality that you that you get because um you know, you don't have another choice. I've always said the best way to be successful is to put yourself in a situation where you don't have another choice. And oftentimes in a lot of these adventures, we're literally in situations where we don't have a way out. Um, and so like it's sink or swim and, and that's what you do. So um, I want to go back to one other
2: thing uh, around this and it's about family. Like, I'm curious you know, when your family knows that you're you know, potentially in near death situations, what's the, uh, you know, how does that affect them?
1: I'm not exactly sure how it affects them. I think for both of us, it's very stressful. Uh You know, when I'm gone, I always, I think Marie and I almost go on this, uh, are on a parallel process, which is from the start trying to keep this connection, even though like I'm in the middle of nowhere. And, um, But as time goes on, we're both dealing with these very stressful situations. You know, Maria is a single parent and having a full-time job. Um, You know, that's not easy for anybody. Um, And granted, she's not almost getting eaten by a polar bear or falling through the ice or, you know, whatever. But it's a stressful situation. And, And for me... Uh, you know, it's like I said, it's kind of that same parallel process. And what ends up happening is that connection to for me, that connection to my life at a certain point. um, And I hate saying this uh, becomes a hindrance. Um, Because when you're in survival mode, that's, that's all you uh, that's all you kind of have is survival mode and anything else just takes away from your ability to live and survive Mm. um and so you know it's at this funny point and i actually call it the day i call it this day 40 syndrome because it happens almost the same day every trip i've ever been on because on day 40 we've been out there for a hell of a long time you know like 40 days of doing one thing i mean it's crazy there's still a significant portion of the journey ahead. And as time goes on, the, the, the journey is more difficult and your physical, mental ability to deal with it becomes less and less. And so it's kind of this point where all your other life just fades away and, and you are literally living in that moment. And so, you know, in that time, that family, it just, it doesn't, those things don't affect you in that same way. Um, And and I think it's a survival mechanism more than anything. Hmm. Wow.
2: Wow. Uh, Well, this has been really, really uh, mind-blowingly cool and amazing. Um, So I have one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews with Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: I think that... um Probably one of the defining characteristics that makes somebody unmistakable is persistence. Um, I think there are a lot of very creative people. I think there are a lot of talented people. um, And those things are definitely important. But it's that ability to keep going um, despite um, all the kind of information to the contrary um, is really what makes people – achieve kind of this, this higher level of, of whatever it is. Hmm.
2: Awesome. Uh, well, where can people uh, learn more about you and your work?
1: Uh, you know, there's all the, the usual social media things. I'm EL Explorer on Instagram and Polar Explorer Eric Larson on Facebook. And, and, uh, my website is a good clearinghouse for everything snowy, uh, which is Eric Larson Awesome. And for
2: everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.